Welcome to the African Photography Safaris podcast. I'm Khalil Zaib and I'm here with Alan Hewitt. In today's episode, our very first podcast, we're going to start with some introductions and talk about some of our most memorable moments from last year's trip, which will give you a flavour of what it's like to be on a photography safari. We'll also talk about some of the content we'll be sharing in our future episodes. Before we do that, you can find resources such as any images we talk about online in the podcast section of our africanphotographysafaris.com website and also on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Khalil is a freelance filmmaker, photographer and drone pilot, mainly working on sport and wildlife documentaries, but also some narrative drama work and various commercial projects. He has worked for the BBC and RSPB amongst many other clients. He's also the other half of African Photography Safaris with me. Alan is a freelance wildlife photographer, writer and photography safari guide. He works for himself and as part of the African Photography Safaris team with me. He's also a guide and photographer for Cape Town-based Penda Photo Tours. He was a UK ambassador for Fujifilm for three years and still works for them on a freelance basis. Alan is also increasingly dabbling in a bit of filmmaking. I think I'm to blame for that. As well as working on a few other projects over the years, we also formed our African Photography Safaris brand to consolidate what we did together, especially our wildlife photography safaris in Kenya's Masai Mara. So what will be on our podcast? Well, let's start with today's episode. Today, our main topic is going to talk about why we base our Kenyan wildlife photography safaris in the conservancies rather than the National Reserve, and what the differences are between the two. There are lots of differences, which we think many people will find quite surprising. In future episodes, we have similar content about wildlife, wildlife photography, filmmaking, fieldcraft, the equipment, and also some regular features such as our memorable wildlife photography moments, some news, and we'll also look at some of the book and field guides we use, for example. And we'll also take some questions that have been sent to us via email and via our social media channels. So please feel free to get in touch. It would be lovely to hear from listeners. So what we thought we'd do now is talk about some of the memorable moments from our 2022 Masai Mara Great Migration Safari. Alan, how about you go first? First of all, it has to be the morning of the lion hunt through the camp. We woke up to a noise at about 3am, best described as carnage. Lots of noises of distress calls of prey animals, clearly something very close to camp hunting, followed by lions feeding and often reacting aggressively to each other, squabbling over food. We didn't get much sleep while this was going on, and then when 5.30 came around it was time for coffee before heading out for sunrise. If we hadn't heard the commotion earlier and knew there were lions close by, the sight of two Maasai Ascari with their spears who were there to escort us to the boma was enough to tell us the lions were close. We had a rough idea of where they were, so off we went to find out what was going on. We quickly found a male lion, only a hundred yards or so from camp under a tree. We stayed by him for a while as he was being pestered by jackals scavenging. Eventually that pestering just got too much for him and he broke cover of the tree, dragging with him the dismembered neck and head of a juvenile giraffe into the clearing where we were sat in our vehicles. It was quite a sight, natural history in action, certainly in one of its more gruesome forms and that is day to day life for these wild animals. Now I remember light was very low so I opted to use the Fujifilm GFX100S and GF250mm f4 as I was way up at ISO 12800 and I was still struggling with shutter speeds at f4. 
if memory serves i was lucky to get around 80th of a second now we do of course have photograph on our website's podcast page so khalil what about your favorite or memorable moment well for me it would have to be risassi she's a cheetah in the maasai mara and risassi means bullet and believe me she's aptly named we had the privilege of a front row seat to this incredible cat hunting a gazelle and when we first arrived she was casually looking around keeping an eye out for predators that might take her young cubs this is where i need to give massive credit to our maasai wildlife guides moses boston and james these guys are so knowledgeable and seem to have a sixth sense about where we should be Rasasi started looking more intently in one direction and the guides picked up on this. There were a few other vehicles in the area, but our guides managed to predict where she would go and where the hunt would end up. She started stalking a male Thompson's gazelle with the cubs following closely, all out of sight behind a termite mound. The gazelle munched on, ignorant to the impending danger. Meanwhile, we were the only vehicles that had come all the way down the hill, so we had a perfect view of the whole strategy. Suddenly, the cheetah accelerated and the chase was on. Gazelles are fast and they jink around a lot to try and avoid being caught, but they're no match for a cheetah in full flow. Rusasi chased the gazelle down the hill using a tail as a rudder through the turns. You could see the gazelle thought it would get away down the hill, but the cheetah had deliberately run it into a marshy area. He had nowhere to go and with an incredible show of speed and strength, the cheetah caught up and tripped him. That's how cheetahs stopped their prey. The unbalanced gazelle rolled over and Rissassi immediately kicked him down and jumped on him, eventually getting the deadly bite to the throat. What an amazing performance. The cubs which had hung back then trotted down for lunch and we were the only people in the right place. As I said, the guides have a sixth sense about these things. And if you'd like to see the video of Rissassi's hunt, go to the African Photography Safaris site and look for the podcast section. I only had my photography camera with me that day rather than my full Sony cinema camera but it actually did a very good job of capturing the whole hunt with a very long lens. There's an old saying the best camera is the one that you have with you and that was very much the case here. Okay let's talk about books. Alan and I are both big fans of books about wildlife. Alan what's today's book? So one of my favourite books is a book called Beat About the Bush and it's a field guide written by Trevor Carnaby. I've seen this book in three formats. One is a, a mammals and birds version and also there are two separate and more detailed individual mammals and birds versions. The author, Trevor Carnaby, has combined facts and science with his own experiences as a very well respected field guide in South Africa to create this valuable collection of questions and answers about African mammals and birds. They talk about relationships between animals and habitats, about types of camouflage, animal behaviours, their diets and how their senses work and so much more. Jargon is minimal and the author very effectively explains complicated concepts in layman's terms with fantastic examples. It's absolutely my go-to book for research and information, and I highly recommend it for anybody who's interested in the wildlife of sub-Saharan Africa. We do have some links available for this book, and like everything else, it's in the podcast section on our africanphotographysafaris.com website. Masai Mara, the Conservancies and the National Reserve. In the Masai Mara, we are based at a camp in the Lemek Conservancy. Lemek is one of several Maasai Mara conservancies. So what are the Mara conservancies? To understand this, we need to describe a bit of the geography and history of the wider Maasai Mara ecosystem. 
The Masai Mara National Reserve was created in 1961 as a government-owned reserve, covering around 373,000 acres, which is 580 square miles or so. To the south is the border with Tanzania and the Serengeti National Park. It's all the same greater ecosystem, uh, home to Africa's Big Five and the famous Great Migration. In addition to the Masai Mara National Reserve, there are around 15 private conservancies, which roughly border and surround the National Reserve's northern borders. The first of the Mara conservancies was founded in 2005. Unlike the Masai Mara National Reserve, remember that's a government national park, the conservancies are on land which is owned by the Masai people and they lease it to a management board which is made up of tourism partners, Masai people and conservationists in return for financial payment and investment in communities through employment, health, education, etc. There are now 15 wildlife conservancies which almost double the size of the overall ecosystem when combined with the National Reserve. As mentioned, Lemek is one such conservancy and where we base ourselves for our Masai Mara photography safaris. There are other conservancies which we've visited, such as Old Choro, which has an access agreement with Lemek, and we've also been in Mara North and Naboisho, for example. Let's look at the benefits of the conservancies from the photography tourist's point of view. There are fewer tourist numbers in the conservancy because accommodation and visitor numbers are very strictly controlled. In comparison, there are many more camps and lodges in the National Reserve and also a lot of day pass visitors. This means that when we experience significant wildlife sightings, and by this I mean lions, leopards, cheetah, elephants, etc., there are significantly fewer vehicles in the conservancies than what is likely in the National Reserve. A five vehicle rule does actually exist in the National Reserve, but as we have witnessed so many times, it is very rarely adhered to. Because there are significantly fewer vehicles in the conservancies, we are also allowed to responsibly off-road, rather than being restricted to the main tracks. This means we can see more, we can get closer, you can't actually off-road in the National Reserve. Night drives up until 10pm are also allowed in the conservancy if you have a red filtered spotlight. The National Reserve does not allow this. It means we can be out for sunset photography and sundowner drinks far away from camp and still have plenty of time to return in the dark. Walking safaris with Maasai guides are also allowed. Perhaps not ideal for the photographer given the amount of gear we may carry, but for those who wish to, it's a wonderful way to enjoy the wilderness. If you're staying in one of the conservancies, you can visit the National Reserve, which we often do on a day trip, but there are no rights for those staying in the National Reserve to visit the conservancies. You might ask, are there any drawbacks? Yes. Highly protected black rhinos are very rarely spotted outside the Masai Mara National Reserve. When they do venture into the conservancies, they're shepherded back south where they can be more closely monitored and given more protection and security. Also, we don't see the massive number of wildebeest crossing the River Mara with the crocodile carnage. You need to be in the National Reserve for that. That said, we both believe the benefits far outweigh the drawbacks, and we still see rhino when we visit the Old Choro Rhino Conservancy. Better, we actually walk amongst the white rhinos. Remember, we can also visit the National Reserve from the conservancies if there's a good chance of seeing a river crossing taking place. But in the past, I've found it to be long and very hot waiting game at the expense of missing a lot more of what's going on elsewhere. Yes, a river crossing is a great sight, but we've spent many hours just sitting waiting for nothing to happen. And frustratingly, this is often as a result of some of the poor ethics shown in the reserves. 
We've seen vehicles blocking river crossing exit points, people getting out of the vehicles and too much noise and often it's just all too much disturbance and interference for the wildlife. So in conclusion, it's fair to say we both massively prefer what the conservancies can offer from a photographic point of view. It's important for the visitor to understand the differences in the geography and the ecosystem and the rules which are in place so they can make an informed decision on where they want to base themselves and the areas they wish to visit. The conservancies are much more peaceful. The guides must be formally trained and I feel there is so much more respect for the wildlife. The conservancy models are based upon a more sustainable approach to tourism which benefits the local Maasai people and their communities while conserving the wildlife and the overall ecosystem. All of this together makes it a much more ethical and a much more enjoyable way to experience what the Maasai Mara has to offer. If you've been out to the Mara or you're planning a visit, we're interested in your opinions. Do they differ from ours? Were you aware of the differences? Feel free to get in touch via our Facebook page or the website. We've already asked via social media for some questions to the podcast and Sheila has been in touch to ask us to describe a typical day on our photography safaris. Well, every day is different, but you know, mostly we get up around half past five in the morning, it's still dark. We'll meet for some coffee, maybe a flapjack and a biscuit before we head out to try and photograph some of the animals while the sun is rising. And it's basically, we, we, we try to find what is around there and then in the local area. We don't necessarily know until we go out and find it. Um, sometimes we'll stop out for a packed breakfast. Sometimes we'll come back to camp or to a lodge for our breakfast. We might stay out all day or we might just have a rest around camp before heading out to do the same thing in the afternoon. One of the best parts of a photography safari day for me is when it gets to sunset and we sometimes enjoy some beers or some drinks out on the savannah and just take some photographs of the wildlife as it passes by before heading back to camp or to the lodge for an evening meal, sit around the fire, a few more drinks and some good conversation about the wildlife and photography of the day. Yeah, what we often find is that the group are on the same wavelength. You know, they're all enthusiastic photographers and it's just a really good crack. Absolutely. Yeah, I think some of the some of the conversation is um, it's, it's part of the wildlife photography safari experience. I think it's mutually sort of talking about a subject that we love and feeding off each other's enthusiasm all the time. And it just builds up the day and it also builds up for enjoying the next day as well. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to mention at this point that the camp food is amazing. Uh, I don't know where they've got the chef from, but he's fantastic. And um, the food is really top notch. So is the beer. So is the beer. <laughs> so please do get in touch to ask us any more questions via email or social media, and we'll do our best to answer them. Well, thanks for listening. Remember to visit the website, the podcast section and social media where you can see the photographs and video of the things we've been chatting about in the book link. Of course, if you'd like to join us in Africa, you can find more information on the website and make a booking there. We'll be back in the next episode to talk about safety on wildlife photography safaris, the do's and don'ts when you're working close to wild animals like lions, leopards and elephants and so on. So thank you very much and goodbye.